Jesus, we say that you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. We bless you and we honor you today. church family. I'm going to try to get through this because I've been crying now that we're worshiping. <clears throat> My name's Crystal Lawson and I just wanted to share with you some things that um, the Lord's been reminding me from the reading. It's from Matthew uh, 14, 16 through 34. First, I just want to give you like my Cliff Notes version of that. It's when Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. Uh, Jesus sends the disciples out on a boat and then he goes off alone. Jesus walks on water and the disciples say, ah, ghost. And Jesus says, take courage. Peter asks to walk on water with Jesus and Jesus says, come. And then they cross and land at Genesaret. And what I felt God remind me most from this is um, from a book I read a few months ago by John Ortenberg called, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. What I remember most about this book is that you have to risk. If you wanna do those amazing things for God's kingdom, you have to be willing to take that step of faith and you have to be willing to overcome your fears, like when you wanna walk on water or when you wanna pray for a neighbor or when you wanna pray for a friend or when you wanna speak in front of all you nice people like this. If we look in more detail um, at the passage, specifically Matthew 14, 28, when Peter walks on water, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. The next thing that stood out to me in this passage was that when he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he began to sink. When he focused on the wind, and what I, I've come to realize, this wasn't an ordinary wind, it was actually like a storm. So when he focused on the storm, that's when he lost his faith. And I know I can tell you from my own experiences that when I am taking that step of faith and when I'm doing something for the Lord, the enemy will certainly send a storm my way to take my focus off of Jesus. Now, the last thing that stood out to me in the reading plan was a little bit further on in Mark 6, um, 38 to 53. And I won't go through the whole thing, but um, I felt like this could only be a retelling of the same story, a retelling of the feeding of the 5,000, except in Mark's version, Peter doesn't walk on water. And I was like, confused like this. Why would Mark leave this out? It seems pretty important to me. So I thought, was Mark jealous of Peter? Was Mark filled with shame that he didn't ask to walk on water and Peter did? Or maybe Mark was about to ask to walk on water, but Peter's such a big mouth that he beat him to it. Or maybe Mark wasn't even there. I mean, obviously I don't have the answers to these questions, but in my quiet time, I ask God these questions. And as I sat there and I waited, I felt like in my mind's eye, God just smiled and he shrugged and he whispered, Matthew already said that. 
I just love that God has a sense of humor. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you that we have your word and we can meditate on it and we can read it. And thank you that you have a sense of humor. Please be with us, be with us this morning as Beth teaches. Open our hearts and our minds to what she has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn and say good morning to, to a stranger. Good morning, North Star. We are so glad that you are here today. Um, and here at North Star, our mission is to go to the missing, love the marginalized, and live as God's kids. Um, my name is Alicia Persley, and my sweet husband and our kids and I have been coming here for about 10 years. And I have the honor and privilege of serving on our Women's Advisory Board and also working in women's ministry with Watermark. Um, and I love this church family. Um, I do have a few announcements today, but first I just wanna say thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. Um, if you have any questions, especially if you're new or anything, we have Connecting Point, which is out by the fireplace. We'd love to, um, to get to know you, ask you some questions about yourself, get you plugged in, um, or you can fill out the Connect card, which will be on the screen behind me. Um, that's also a way with this QR code is a way to give if you would like to partner with North Star and with the Lord in this way. Um, if you've heard it once, you've heard it a million times, we say it every Sunday, but at least 25% of everything that comes in goes straight back out to local and global missions. And every year it's way higher than that. We just say that to, you know, but it's still pretty awesome. Um, I love the heart of generosity that North Star has um, and just how that is something that they will never falter on. That is a hill they will die on. Um, even when things get scary, sometimes my husband's an elder and they talk money a lot, I think, from the meetings from what I hear. And even when things are like, oh dear, they are never, ever going to question whether or not we are going to give and give and give more. So I love that about this church. Um, so I have a few announcements. First of all, I want to remind you about prophetic prayer and communion, which is tonight at 7 o'clock. We would love to invite you and your family to come to that tonight for an evening to rest and to receive and to be prayed over. Um, so again, invite, bring your whole family. Anyone can come. You can come for the whole time or come for whatever amount of time you have to do that tonight. Um, we also, speaking of prayer, have a basic prayer training happening next Saturday morning at 9.30 in our student room. Um, and this is for anyone who wants to just learn more about this, um, the value that North Star has over the practice of prayer. Um, and when you come to this training, you will hopefully be inspired hearing about what, what is God doing here at North Star, what he's doing here in our city and around the world. Um, and then you'll be instructed about how to maybe partner with God in that. Um, and I think most importantly, there will be practical experience. It'll be a chance for you to just kind of stretch those muscles. I know for a lot of people, me included, like praying out loud or praying with people or for people can feel pretty daunting. Um, there's this pressure to say the right thing or sound super holy and spiritual. Um, but I think obviously we are all called to pray. And if this is something that might even be out of your comfort zone to, to learn how to step into that a little bit more to, um, 
to practice praying over others, interceding for them on behalf of um, just listening for what God has to say. I'd encourage you to come out to that. Um, so speaking of training, we have Beth here to share with us today. Um, and uh, early before the first service, we were talking about a series that we did here at North Star, I think it was six years ago, I'm not sure. Um, and it was on spiritual warfare. And one of the Sundays was Beth's turn to teach. And I remember this Sunday, as soon as we started talking about it, I was like, yes, I remember that day so specifically. We were in the round. Some of you who were here might remember this. And I remember this day because my oldest daughter got baptized that day. So I thought it was pretty cool that she brought up that specific sermon and teaching on what is such a special day for me and for our family. Um, and in this teaching, she was talking about spiritual warfare and about equipping our kids and teaching them and talking to them about this very real thing going on and about the, um, the way that the enemy is going to attack their hearts um, and how we need to be not only on the defensive but on the offensive for that as well. And I believe that after this teaching, there were parents coming up to Beth saying, help me, I need to teach my kids about this. I don't even, I don't have the right words. I don't know how to teach my kids about this. And beautifully enough, out of some of those conversations was birthed a book. Um, and we have this book here today. It's called The Heart Who Wanted to Be Whole. And I actually had a chance to read it between services and probably gonna cry. Like any wonderful children's book, it also speaks to the adult heart in us. Um, and just this, it's so based in scripture and not just us praying scripture and truth over our kids, but equipping them to speak those declarations and truth themselves and to speak that over their own hearts and their own identity. Um, so it's a really, it's a special book. It's really neat. Um, so whether you have kids or not, or if you have grandkids, even if you don't have kids, I'd say go check out that book. They're selling it over at the table outside by the fireplace. So um, our last announcement is a video. So I'm going to let you watch that. Hey, North Star family, John here. If you're like me, Sometimes on a Sunday morning, maybe you leave thinking, oh, today was so good. I'm left wanting more. I'm hungry for the Lord. So maybe you come out to our prophetic prayer and communion nights or to our prayer rooms on Friday or some other thing throughout the week to which you're able to encounter the Lord and engage with Him both personally and through community. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I want to encounter the Lord like this, but for some reason you're just not able to, or you just can't seem to encounter the Lord in the, in the deeper way that you're longing to. Well, I'm excited to invite you guys and share a fun opportunity that's gonna happen September 29th and 30th, right here on this stage and in our building that we are calling our Everyday Encounter Weekend. This will be a weekend where we gather together corporately to feast on his presence and to encounter him through worship nights, prayer room, and some interactive breakout sessions. Our prayer for this weekend is that you will meet Jesus in a new and radical way where you are truly met and marked by him. We invite you to come out and join us Friday night, September 29th, and all day Saturday, September 30th. Even if you can't do the day portion on Saturday, we totally invite you to come out for one or both of the worship nights we would love to have you. Go to our website, golovelive.com for more info. You'll be able to see it there, Everyday Encounter Weekend. Register, we want you there. We're excited for you to be there and we're looking forward to go deeper together, encountering the Lord outside of a Sunday morning. We love you guys.
All right, so you will be able to register for that online. We didn't love to encourage all of you to do that. And I love that our worship team, our prayer teams are obviously, if you haven't picked up on it, so passionate about the Lord and about engaging and encountering the Lord. And they're so passionate about sharing that with all of us and inviting us in to experience that as well. Um, so this is a whole chance to get the whole night of it and a whole next day of it and, and then bring that into your everyday life. Um, so if you want any information about what we shared this morning, you can go to our website and get more information or register for things or please come out to Connecting Point and ask questions as well. So I'm gonna pray for Beth before she comes up and speaks and we'll move on. Lord, thank you so much um, for who you are, for the ability to be here together, Lord, the ability to encounter you both corporately alongside our brothers and sisters and then also privately and in our, in our quiet moments, in our everyday moments, in our hard moments, Lord. Pray for protection over Beth as she speaks. Pray for wisdom. Pray that you open our hearts. Help us to engage as we learn more about ways to encounter you, to interact with you, and to bring our whole selves to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alicia. Good morning, everyone. My name is Beth Guckenberger, and I am part of the teaching team here at North Star. And I am loving that this church has decided to have a series called Healthy Church. Um, it is a distinctive of this church. David talked about it last week. Our desire to be healthy, authentic, real with one another. I was thinking about on my drive over here, um, I used to have a radio show on XM, and on that show I would interview various personalities. And one Sunday, or one weekend, I was interviewing an author, um, her name is Anne Lamott, and I'm an author, but she's like a way better author than I am. So I was like, forget about my listeners, I got you on the line here, Anne, like, what advice do you have for me? And she said, oh, that's, that's easy, Beth. Just write something you would be delighted to stumble upon. And now, every time I craft any kind of message, on a stage, in a book, I think to myself, I want to say the thing that I'm thinking to myself, someone is like, oh, I'm so glad somebody said that. I'm so glad somebody was honest like that or was real like that or authentic like that. That's the spirit with which this church wants to operate. We want you to come here and not see a show or a performance or a bunch of people who have their best foot forward, but for you to be like delighted to have stumbled upon a community that is honestly trying to just work out their faith with fear and trembling. That's what this looks like. So in the spirit of being honest with you, I'm gonna just tell you right off the bat, I had a really hard week and um, a bunch of things. Like I have a great friend who's in a, a crisis and I can't fix it. I can't do anything about it. I just have to watch it happen. I have a child who's teetering on the edge of protocol. I have a parent who just received a cancer diagnosis. I, we, we decided to move homes this month. We have a dear friend that we love who has left back-to-back -back staff and all these things are gonna pass. And I don't tell you these things so you will feel sorry for me in any way. The truth is if we circled up here in the room and I said, anybody here carrying something hard and heavy into the house today, I think I'd, have, I'd be in good company. I think there are lots of us. And I've, I tell you this because it's healthy to be real with each other, to talk about how you hold on to your faith in the midst of things that you don't like and can't control. In this series, Healthy Church, we're gonna be studying the book of Psalms and the practice we see in the book of Psalms of acknowledging biblical truth while we say something doesn't feel okay. It just doesn't feel good. 
you'll see that churches historically have not been that great at that. We, we have a bunch of cliche comments we say in the capital C church because other people's pain can make us really uncomfortable. And we want to, we want to fix things for people, especially people that we love. But the truth of the matter is most situations don't need fixed, they actually just need healed. And there is only one healer. Sometimes they need grieved. I was at a funeral uh, with my mom of a family friend who had taken his own life. And the, the pain in the room was palatable. And the family was in the front row openly grieving. And the pastor came up on the stage and I was thinking to myself and then I said out loud to my mom, I would not want to be him right now. Like, How do you lead a community of people in this much obvious pain and confusion with questions that nobody had answers to? And this pastor took out his Bible, he opened it up to the book of Jeremiah and he started to read chapter 17 where it says, if you can extract the precious from the worthless, you can be my spokesman. And the whole room took a deep breath because I was, we were all grateful he wasn't gonna try to spin this in some way or make it all seem like it was okay or that all things work out together for the good. Like, those are biblical truths, but when you're hurting, you actually just need to say, oh, I'm so glad you admitted, this is worthless. This pain is terrible. So how do we extract precious out of it? I think sometimes in church, again, I'm not throwing North Star under the bus, I mean more our Christian community. We just call something a testimony when it all turns out in the end the way we were hoping it would. Like the cancer counts go away, right? The prodigal comes home, the marriage gets reconciled. Let's give those people a microphone and talk about how good God is. The truth is, we'll see all throughout Psalms and throughout the other 65 books of that Bible, of that Bible, that the truth is we testify to God's presence with us when the cancer counts don't go down when the prodigal is still out somewhere wandering, when the marriage ends up dissolving. There's plenty to testify to, and healthy churches tell the truth about God's presence with them in the middle of things that aren't turning around the way we want them to. During COVID, I heard a counselor say, and this is, you're gonna remember this because I don't even like potty talk, but anyway, this counselor said that grief is a little bit like poop. You have to do it every day or you get emotionally constipated. And when you read, we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, the book of Psalms has more psalms of lament than they do psalms of praise because life is hard. <laughs> There's plenty of things to be grieving about. And what do we do with the things that are hard? Like the, certainly the most emotionally healthy thing to do is to get radically honest with God, that's first. It's not like he doesn't see it. It's not like he's not aware of our disappointment or our fears or our questions or our missteps. He already knows those things. He wants, he wants to hear us ask him for things like peace and help and strength. I'm gonna read to you a Psalm. If you're comfortable, you can close your eyes. If you wanna look at me while I read it to you, that's, you're welcome to do that too. But I want you to hear how silly it is for us to posture or pretend in front of God. We can talk in a minute about what that looks like to do that in front of each other. But it, for us to pretend that we're not feeling exactly what it is that we're feeling doesn't make any sense. Listen to this Psalm. It says, Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. You understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You're so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book and you know all the words I'm about to speak 
before I even start the sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way and in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go and run and hide from your face? God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. Amen. That's the end of the psalm. I mean, listen, it doesn't make any sense to try to hide from him what it is that we're feeling. He's very aware of every of all the things that are going on. And honestly, that we're gonna see in the architecture of a lament prayer that we see in the book of Psalms, there's a, it's, it's, if I could boil it all down, it's that two things sit right next to each other. The acknowledgement of biblical truth and the acknowledgement of the way you feel about it and the way you feel about the things that are going on around you. If, you, if you're sitting up against a knot you don't know how to untangle in your life, here's the three things I want you to, see as a pathway through the hard. And as I was showing these notes to my husband, he goes, he saw the first thing I'm about to show you. And he's like, I've never even heard you use that word before in a sentence. I said, I know, I couldn't think of any other word to use besides this one. And that is that sin has entered the world and its consequences suck. <laughs> That's it. There's no other way to say it. I tried to think of 10 other ways to say it. The reality of sin in the world, it is terrible. It is just terrible. My sin entering the world, the sin of other people's entering the world and impacting us, terrible. And in the midst of that reality, I am not good enough, strong enough, smart enough, nothing enough to fix it. I can try to use all my muscle, all my resources, all my brain, all my influence, all, all, the, all the things I got to leverage, and I'll still not be able to fix what has been broken by sin. There's only one person who can heal those things and that's Jesus, right? So if sin is into the world and it's no good, I've, always, I've said that word now to my, to, I won't say it anymore. Sin is into the world and it's no good and I am not enough to fix what's happened. Then all I have left is the reality that God is with me, even in that hard and my connection with him is going to be my deepest breath. We can't, we can't break, we can't let go of we can't disrupt our connection from him in the middle of hard. Because there are more psalms of lament than any other kind, it's an acknowledgement of the impact of the sin that has entered the world on the psalmists that were recording them for us. If you have been joining, uh, if you've been in the Pathway reading plan, you know that we just entered into the book of Lamentations. If you're just jumping in, I know that's a tough book to get started in. But my favorite part about Lamentations is that it's real, and real is healthy. Because lament is this cry of distress. Lamentations is this like, it has a bunch of strong language. It can even sound angry or bitter, or like the author's like, show up already. Where are you? But these Psalms and the book of Lamentations demonstrate that God can handle our language. He's not asking us to be polite. 
He can handle what we have to say. Because the book of Psalms, it's not pedagogical. It's not a theology book. It's a worshiper's response to divine action or perceived inaction. And there's a bunch of emotion in that book, right? We read things like, I'm lonely and afflicted. My life is spent with sorrow. How long are you, like, where are you? Are you gonna forget me forever? My soul is weary. It is the most quoted book of the New Testament because the assumption was that everybody knew the reference. It was the hymnal of the faith community. There was a psalm in there for every situation and every state of the heart, and everyone knew it. It would be no different than like for you, like do you you have a breakup song? Do you have a workout song? Like, do you have a love song? Do you have a song that you've listened to when you fall asleep? Like, you have a song for all the things, that, all the feelings and emotions and experiences in your life. This is what the book of Psalms was for the early church. And Psalms was not really designed to speak to you. Psalms was always designed to speak for you. Like, when you don't know what to say, read Psalms. This week, So at night when I I would just fall asleep listening to the book of Psalms, I didn't even have to focus because Psalms was saying what it was that I couldn't. And it can be tempting to think like, oh, I don't even wanna, I don't wanna acknowledge these feelings. It makes me weak. It makes makes me bad in some way. Well, if we are going to acknowledge them, most of the time we think, oh, I'm not definitely not doing that in a Christian setting because then those people think I'm gonna lack faith. And then the result of a bunch of Christian people coming together in a church where they don't talk about what's really happening is a place, the one place where it should be the safest for us to be here in the living room of God's house. We end up pretending and hiding our deepest kind of feelings and that lack of honesty and that lack of lamenting and that, is, and that, that, that practice of God is good all the time and all the time God is good, then our emotional and spiritual health gets derailed. It doesn't even make any sense, but if we can endeavor to be a place where people are known, then we will become what Paul will write to a bunch of the early churches when he wrote those letters. You can be the kingdom of heaven on earth. You can be something called the, the colony of heaven. You can be a place where all the rules are different than they are in the world. And North Star, it is a place that wants to be real, both in front of God and with each other. You heard it a bunch, and even the announcements, the opportunities, and places that are being created for those kind of encounters. And I'm gonna ask you for a little bit of crowd participation here. Um, I I think the 11 o'clock service can handle it, so show show me that. I I just wanna practice what it looks like to be healthy, I, I'm, gonna share, I'm gonna reshare some of the vulnerabilities I shared with you at the start of my message, and I'm gonna tell you that I have a really good friend who's in crisis. And I'm, I'm just curious how many of you are loving somebody right now who's hurting? Who do you, any of you love someone that's hurting, okay? So just shout out in the room, what kind of emotions do you feel when you see someone hurting that you can't do anything about? You can't fix it. Yeah. Right. So like, If that's true, and we walk in here feeling hopeless and discouraged, like, let's just be honest about that. Because one, what we need, God can give us. And two, like, your walking that story, as I'm walking that story, encourages me to pray for you and to know that you pray for me, and those things endear us to one another. It it causes me to be willing to be inconvenienced on your behalf, which builds relationship. And in those relationships, we put on display the way the brothers, spiritual brothers and sisters are supposed to look like to one another. If I just act like 
I mean, my faith is enough, right? I got a bumper sticker that tells me, like, I don't need, any, like, then when you have something hard, you're like, well, I mean, if she could do it, I'm supposed to be able to do it. And it's because I can't do it. And I feel those feelings. I'm going to now associate myself with shame. That doesn't make any sense. Not in God's house. I have a child teetering on the edge of rebellion. Is there anyone here in the house who's heart sick about a child whose story you cannot control, right? Okay. The seven of you that raised your hand, I'm telling you. This is not a place where we talk about, I mean, I don't mean North Star, I mean the church is not a place where we often admit we have prodigals, right? Because there's a lot of shame in that. What did I do wrong? My gosh, that enemy is after our families. And we need each other in the story of a prodigal because we need someone to remind us of what we know is true. We need someone to pray for our our children when we just can't any longer. We need someone to celebrate even the smallest steps of victory. We need someone to sit with us when things are starting to fall apart. Like we need each other in those storylines. Those of you that have prodigals, what does it make you feel like? Like, how do you feel walking in here? Angry. Sad hurt, overwhelmed, shame, disappointment, scared, heart sick. Yes, all of those things. So we want to, as a church, walk with you in that story. We wanna know your children's names. We wanna intercede on their behalf. We wanna, we wanna be with you. That's what, that's what family does. That's what church is supposed to look like. I mean, again, I could go on and on. Any of, any of you out here love someone that's sick? How hopeless and helpless that feels like to love someone that's sick and know that you don't have what it takes to fix it for them. And you have no idea what the outcome's gonna be. So how do you pray like that? Like, what does that look like? So. Healthy churches, they just create spaces for those kinds of conversations. And I'm gonna take a minute and pray specifically for those stories and the people that just spoke out. I don't want you to get all excited. We're not closing in prayer. This is just a momentary uh, (laughs) disruption of our, it's like a public service announcement in the middle, but we're going back to our regularly scheduled program here in a minute. But just take a minute and pray with me for those stories. Oh Jesus, our cry of lament starts out with an acknowledgement that sin has entered the world and it is no good. And we don't have what it takes to fix a crisis, to draw back a prodigal, to heal someone's body. Those are storylines that require your kind of strength, your kind of perspective, and your kind of power. So we come to you and recognize that you are God and we are not. And we ask that you would walk with us in those storylines and all the others that we walked into this place with today. Storylines that we literally need you for and that you'll commune with us in the middle. And in the middle of that communion, we will find relief. You are where we find relief. And I pray these things in your name, amen. Amen. In the book of Psalms, we see honest prayers of lament. And just so you go out of here understanding exactly what those kind of Psalms are, they're prayers of pain and confusion and anger. And they draw attention to what's wrong in the world. And then they ask God to do something about it. That is an appropriate response to hard. 
we can ask him to do something about it for all kinds of reasons we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, the truth is he's done something about hard things before. So we can tell him, hey, I know you know how to do it because I saw you do it for her or I saw you do it before for him or I read about it in the book of Acts or whatever you want to tell him. We can remind him of his goodness and his character and of his power. He likes that. He wants us to retell to him the good stories and testimonies and things that we have witnessed. We can ask him to do something about it. It is appropriate for you to do so. I say all the time in my prayer to Jesus, you tell me if I ask you for bread, you will not give me stone. I'm asking for bread right now. Give me bread. You can do it. I know you can. We also see in the book of Psalms, there are Psalms of praise. These are, these are prayers of joy and celebration. And there's a place for that. That's a, there's a good place for that. Psalms of praise draw attention to what's good in the world and they retell good stories and they thank God for them. And we need to be fluent in both these kinds of prayers. We just happen in the church to do a whole bunch more of the praise kind of prayer than we do the lament kind of prayer. One of the church's most famous Old Testament scholars is a man named Wayne Brueggemann and he always talks about how difficult it is to preach the Psalms. His quote is, it's they're too abrupt, they're too disjunctive, they're too abrasive, they're too emotional, they're too filled with embarrassing passion. And I'd like to say, Dr. Brueggemann, here's the deal. When I'm talking to my friends about something that's hard, I am often too abrupt, too emotional, and too filled with embarrassing passion. So if I'm gonna talk that way to my friends, I'm definitely talking that way to God, right? When I hear something in the world or on the news or from a friend that I don't like and I don't understand and I can't control, I am too abrupt, I am too emotional, and I am too filled with embarrassing passion. Like, Psalms are real emotions of real people trying to live out their real faith in a real broken world. We should recognize them. We should recognize ourselves in them. The architecture of a prayer of lament has four parts to it, and I want you to leave here understanding those parts. The first one is lament prayers always start with an address to God, and the most important part to understand about that is direction, right? That like, they, like God, you are God is an, a common phrase in the beginning. And the idea is I can cry and complain and grumble to other people and there's a place for that, but I better not be doing that to the exclusion of, of talking to God, the only one who can actually do something about the situation that I'm upset about, right? My dad used to say to me all the time, uh, sweet girl, I hope you are talking to God as much as you are talking about him right now. Like this is the idea of direction. I need to address my concerns were the only one who can do something about it. We'll see in Psalm 13, like, what, like um, how long, Lord? And in Psalm 88, you're the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you, but they're, they're talking to God. And the second component in the architecture of a lament psalm is the complaint of distress. This is like the problem. Like this is the thing that's bugging me. This is the thing I can't, I don't like and I don't understand. And it can sound sometimes when you read it like the author of that Psalm is untrusting or ungodly. But truthfully, this is a righteous response. It's okay to tell him about what you don't like and, don't, and can't do anything about and are upset about or confused about or hurt about or angry about or despairing or disappointed or any of the other emotions we've already talked about today. Psalm 13, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? To, to minimize your feelings doesn't even make any kind of sense. It's to deny or distort what it means to be human, which is as an image bearer of Christ. You, you're allowed to, to have your complaint of distress, but after you do that, usually what we see in a lament prayer is this protest of innocence and this petition for deliverance. So usually these are lines like, Hey, by the way, I've been really faithful. Why is this happening? David used to say that all the time, right? 
Or like the petition for deliverance is like, hey, save me, fill me, deliver me, come for me. And again, like I was saying about stone and bread, the grounds for this kind of petition is an understanding of who we know God to be. We know his character, we know what he's capable of, we know his promises, so we can talk to him like a kid who is securely attached to his dad. For those of you who are parents, if your children would like pizza tonight, they're not gonna say, I mean, if you'd like to get us some pizza, like if it's okay with you and you're thinking about it and you're up for it and are you, like, like, can I have pizza? Like they're just talking like kids who know their dad is going to respond to them. Yes, I'll get you some pizza. Or this is not a good night for pizza. Like they're gonna just address their, their parent in those ways. This is, what, this is what this petition for deliverance can sound like. You're not wringing your hands. You're not trying to spiritually manipulate God. You're not trying to beg him for anything. You're just telling him, this is what I need. Are you willing to do it? And if you're not, I'm gonna have to trust you that you see something I don't see, but it doesn't make any sense for me not to ask you. This is what I I want. And then the lament prayers conclude with this vow of praise. Like, I'll declare your name to my people or I'll trust in your unfailing love. And what I love about the way lament prayers end is chances are, at this point in the prayer, the resolution has not happened. So they're saying praise in anticipation of that which God is going to still do. I've told you before, so if you've heard me say this to you uh, once or twice before, I literally tell myself this every day. Jesus and I have a code word when something hard is happening to me and I need him to come for me, I say the word hallelujah, which doesn't really make sense because these days hallelujah has kind of been reduced to like, good job, God, you know? So something really hard is happening, it doesn't make sense that I'd be like, hallelujah. It's because the etymology of the word hallelujah is two words sewed together. The first part is the word hallel, which means to make a loud noise, to boast, to rave, to celebrate. It's like if any of you were at a Friday night football game and some wide receiver caught a touchdown pass in the end zone, everybody went crazy, that's hallel. That's, that's, that's the first part of that, hallel. The second part is the, comes from the word Yahweh, which is how God introduced himself to Moses in Exodus chapter three, when Moses is in front of the burning bush and God's asking him, hey, I want you to go confront Pharaoh and help my kids get free from slavery. And Moses finally says yes, and he's like, but like, who do I tell him sent me? Like, like, like what's your name? And God responds, Yahweh, I am. I always have been, I am today, and I always will be. So hallelujah is, we're gonna make a loud noise and celebrate and boast and rave about the one who always has been, always is, and always will be. So hallelujah for me is like, hallelujah, I'm going to trust that even though this is not going the way I want, you are with me and always will be and always have been. I'm going to continue my posture in front of you because you are my only deep breath. You're literally all I have. So hallelujah, if the cancer cancer counts are going in the wrong direction, hallelujah, if my prodigal does something stupid, hallelujah, hallelujah, God, be with me. I will continue to worship you, hallelujah. North Star family, our feelings and thoughts are valid and they should be named and brought to Jesus and others. Of course, Jesus can handle them, but actually we can too. And if you've ever, if you've ever not heard this from a church setting, I wanna say it to you loud and clear. It's okay to wrestle with your questions and it's okay to be in a hard season. And church is exactly where we want you to be in the middle of that. And the assumption is that church like, can't handle that, that we're in some way afraid or, or don't know what to do with that kind of suffering. But that's not, that's not true here. We wanna make space to both help 
you celebrate the things that God's doing in your life that are praiseworthy and we wanna walk with you as you grieve the losses that are painful. And I would be remiss if I didn't put up this website for you. I want you to know that this is a church that puts their skin in the game on this promise. And if you have something you're walking through and you want someone to pray for you or listen to you, or you want pastoral counseling or you want professional counseling, they will help you pay for that. They will help you find that. This is a church who is not just saying that they want to be with you. They literally will walk with you in the stories that are hard. And together, we're going to sit with this biblical truth and we're gonna work out our face as best as we can with fear and trembling. If I haven't met you before, I was, a past, I was a missionary for 15 years in Monterey, Mexico. And one day this pastor came to visit us. He was, um, he was like the senior youth pastor in one of those really large churches that has like 50 satellites. And he was coming on a scout trip to check out to see if we were gonna feed and house the youth okay and back to back so he could let the youth pastors and his church community know you can send your students to this as a mission trip. And second day that he was there visiting, I was having dinner with him and we were having some tacos. And I just said, I wanna know your story. Like, tell me, how'd you get a job at that fancy pants church? Like, what, 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 what? What's your testimony? And he looked at me for a minute, kind of like, do I trust her? <laughs> and then he said to me, uh, I was in leadership at a really large parachurch organization for many years. And then I made a choice that cost me my job and my marriage and the respect of my children. And for the following years, uh, I, I wasn't really plugged into the church. I had some believers who were connected to me that did things like help me understand how to restore my walk with the Lord, how to restore my relationships, how to grieve what my choices were, how to rebuild my life in a way that was more authentic. I had people walk with me and finally after several years of that kind of restoration, I was missing what it meant to be in a church setting and went missing what it was like to do ministry. So I wrote a really long cover letter that detailed my whole testimony and what God has done in my life since then and then I put my resume on it and I stuck it in one of those job boards and I hope somebody somewhere would let me do something in their church. He's like, imagine my surprise when this big church called me for the job that I have right now. And I thought to myself in that employment process, like maybe the church is so big that like cover letter got separated from that resume and all they could see <laughs> is what I had done and not like well, what, where I had been really. And he said, finally, I got my way to the senior pastor's office and I could tell as we were meeting that he was about to offer me the job. And I just couldn't in all good conscience let him go any farther without making sure that he understood the depth to which I had fallen. And he said, so I just said, hey, before you go any farther, I just wanna make sure, do you have any questions about my testimony? Did you get a chance to read the cover letter? And that pastor said, I have found in life that everyone has a broken season and I like to hire people on the other side of their broken season because I find it makes them better ministers of the gospel of grace. And I said to him, hey, by the way, that's why your church is so big because everybody would wanna spend Sunday morning with somebody like that. And uh, my, my ritual on Sunday mornings when I'm gonna teach here is that I give this same exact message to my bathroom mirror to make sure that it first ministers to me before I come here to make sure it ministers to you. This is where I was gonna land the plane. Like I was like, I was feeling all good about it. And I, I mean, I said it with a bunch of like punchline gusto and I was just praying and I felt the Lord say to me, I have something else I want you to say. And I, I was like, Lord, we don't have a PowerPoint. For, we don't have a slide for it. I haven't practiced it. Are you, like, 
are you sure? I felt convinced he was sure. So I just have like a one minute PS here. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this is for one person. Uh, If you are someone who has walked into this house carrying something heavier and hard and your question is for God, where were you? You could have stopped this. Why haven't you done anything about this? This is his response to you. So the verse I'm gonna read to you is out of Lamentations chapter three. You should already be in that in your Bible app because we're in the reading plan and that's where we are together. But Lamentations chapter three starts like this. Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Like this is someone who's lamenting what is hard. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. That part, that verse gets a lot of attention and I've talked to you about that verse before. Get your head set in biblical things. Renew your thinking, renew your mind, set your mind in that. Like this is what, my heart is crazy. Don't trust your heart. Get your head in the right place. Then you'll have hope. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. He's not looking down like, are you kidding me? Another day of lamenting prayer with this person. I can't take it anymore. That's not how he talks. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, if we had another hour, I would talk to you about the power of self-talk. What does the author of Lamentations say to himself? The Lord is my portion, right? He's enough. I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. I'm telling you, in this middle of seasons that are hard and heavy, the most active posture we end up taking is waiting around. Like almost never is anything resolved on my timetable. Like we have to wait. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And here is the text message for somebody who needed to hear it today. Though he does, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Do not let a lie stand between the deep breath he wants to give you in the middle of your story because you're making the assumption that he has brought grief or affliction upon you. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief on anyone. He has really big shoulders, like as in they carried a cross. He can handle all kinds of accusations. There is nothing you can say to him he hasn't heard before. Things like, how could you have let this happen? And if you love me, then why? And where in the world were you? That's not how he, if you have any of those questions, you let that truth sink into your heart. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Would you pray with me, please? Jesus, we start out with the acknowledgement that our prayers and our concerns and our emotions are directed to you. I give them to you. We love you. And Lord, I... (laughs) I'm I'm gonna tell you what it is that's stirring up in it and around us. I'm gonna invite my spiritual siblings to tell you what it is they walked in here in their hands and in their heart and on their mind. People they love, bodies that are broken, knots that we're not sure how to untangle. But God, we're, we're petitioning you for deliverance. You, you are God, we know what you do. You split open seas, you heal people that are blind, 
There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't restore or redeem or rescue or reconcile or repair. This is your business. This is what you do. So we take ourselves off of any throne we might have put ourselves in inadvertently. We cannot fix it, nothing. And we ask you, the healer, to start doing the work in the way only you can. And then give us courage to ask brothers and sisters to walk on it with us. Give us courage. Jesus, we praise you. We end all our prayers of both lament and praise with worship to you. You are worthy. And Lord, it is with the authority that I have as a co-heir with you that I ask you release an anointing here today. That you bring joy and comfort and peace and wisdom and clarity and strength to your family and to your kids here. We love you, Jesus. And we pray all these things in the name of your resurrected son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Beth. On a topic like lament, that had to be heavy to write. So thank you for doing the work to write that. Um, One of the names for God in the Bible is the name Elroy, which means the God who sees me. And just one more, I guess, crowd participation. Would anyone say through this talk, through acknowledging lament and heaviness and weightiness, would anyone say they felt seen by God this morning? In the room, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah, God sees you and he's pursuing you. And another name for God in the Bible is Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And we hope that you feel God's presence with you today in seasons of lament that God is with you, journeying with you, and he's the God who modeled lament, right? Jesus, when he was here on earth, when he lost his friend, Lazarus, when his friend died, Jesus wept. He didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to pretend it didn't happen. And then when Jesus was going to be arrested before he went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was in such anguish, such such a troubled spirit that he was sweating like drops of blood. He didn't, again, he just acknowledged it. This season of lament. And he didn't just acknowledge pain, but he chose to do something about it by going to the cross, by dying in our place. And so today we get to stand on the old truth that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, right? That he's going to come and one day he's going to restore all things and make all things new in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the day we long for. That's the day that we hope for. And that's what we cling to when nothing else makes sense. And so we worship him because he's changed our destiny. He's changed the trajectory of our life and what we take hope in. And so we wanna respond right now in a few different ways. Um, First off, we're gonna have communion up front. And communion is for anyone who's a believer in Jesus. And it's the remembrance that his body was broken for us. That's the cracker. And then when we dip it in the juice, that's symbolizing his blood poured out on our behalf. We take communion to remember his sacrifice and that he's coming back again for us. And if there's anyone in this room, if you're not a believer, we wanna invite you to come home to the father, just like the prodigal son who came to his right mind and he went home to his heavenly, or to his dad in the story, but us, it's, to the heavenly father. And we would love, we're gonna have prayer teams up here in a moment. If you're not sure that you have a right relationship with God, would you come get prayer? Would you come talk about it with somebody? 
We'd also love for uh, these prayer teams to just be a hospital this morning of whatever weightiness you're feeling, whatever heaviness you're feeling, let's link arms and pray together as the body of Christ. We would love to pray with you in that way. Uh, would you stand with me as we worship? We're also, as Beth said, all of these laments, they, they end with worship. And so may we exalt high the name of God, whose name is worthy, whose name is above every name. Let's give him the praise that he deserves.